this edition of the Innovation Driven Growth Podcast, we're going to examine a couple of options related to innovation. One is that flash of inspiration, the true genius that just spontaneously happens. And we'll also look at experimental, iterative innovation. And we're going to tie all this together with the art world and help you, the innovator, answer the question, are you Picasso or Cezanne? Stay tuned for more. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Innovation Driven Growth Podcast. Here we examine what enables true creativity, how to convert ideas into innovation, and seek out what ignites enterprise-wide growth. I'm your host, entrepreneur, strategist, and user of metacognition, David Peterson. Well, today I want to give you an update. If you have been following the Innovation Driven Growth podcast, you'll know that a couple months ago, my sister Linda asked me if I would come and play the guitar at an event that she was going to be exhibiting art in Dayton, Tennessee. That date was uh, March 27th, and it has come and gone. And I don't know, again, if you remember the podcast, I said at the very end, either it was going to be, you know, something that was just really fun and rewarding, uh, an amazing experience, whatever, to be there in support of my sister, or it was going to be a, a complete embarrassment and a train wreck, uh, and I wouldn't be allowed at family reunions anymore, so on and so forth. Well, I am very pleased to announce or uh, relay to you that it actually turned out pretty well. And if you remember, the the whole point of that podcast was getting out of your comfort zone, this idea that when your boss comes by and asks for ideas, uh, you, that you raise your hand and, and you offer up ideas, and unashamedly so. Uh, and, and in whatever way, whatever we're doing business-wise, social-wise, however we're living our lives, you know, there are times when we literally just have to step out of our comfort zone. So it was that when Linda asked me to do that, you know, it's kind of like your sister asked you and you, of course, said yes. Then I had this whole sort of panic situation set in where I was like, uh, David, yes, you can sing. Yeah, you can sort of play the guitar. And yeah, you've actually <laughs> played the guitar and sang before, but you just signed up for a three-hour event. So we're not talking about playing a song or a couple of songs. You're talking about playing a bunch of songs with a you know breaks in there or whatever. You're probably talking about two and a half hours of music. When have you ever done that before? Never. Uh, okay, well, what do you have set up and ready prepared to go and do that. Nothing. So here's the thing. I did practice because I don't play the guitar as much as I should. I should play every day. I have the opportunity to play every day, but I don't. So one thing you have to have if you're going to play the guitar for an extended period is you have to have the calluses on your fingers really get toughened up. And uh, once you've played the guitar enough, you never quite lose those calluses, but they certainly get uh, much more tender uh, pretty quickly. So guitars have steel strings, and when you have to press your fingers uh, as a right-handed person, it's the left hand that's, that's changing fingers on the strings to make the chords. 
let me just tell you something. You press, do this. If you want to experiment, go get a, a piece of wire. Go get a, a 14-gauge wire. You know, it's kind of wiring that would be in your house, whatever. And that's that's even got plastic shielding on it. Just go get that wire. Put it on a table. Take your index finger. Press it on it as hard as you can for 10 seconds. Even if you make it to 10 seconds, you're going to go, oh, my gosh, that hurts. It hurts. So, uh, you know, guitar players who play a lot, they have very, very tough calluses on their fingers. Mine were uh, not so much. So so I did practice and really work to, to get that callus. Uh, Linda and I talked about the music and we put it together such that these would be songs that all were very positive and upbeat and, you know, things that would be um, the right message in support of her event and so forth. I, I drove up there you know, got set up. It's at a coffee shop in, you know, in Dayton. It's, it's not a huge place, but it's it's basically what you imagined. I was over in a corner. Uh, Linda's art was uh, spread out across one length of wall and there were tables and, and, and there was a bunch of people there. What a great crowd. So excited about the turnout of people that came, not just people from my family, but, you know, a lot of friends, uh, you know, that Linda has in Dayton and so forth. Just it's so heartwarming to see all of these people coming. And, you know, some people there were there the whole time. And it was it was more like a drop-in thing. So if it started at, you know, 9.30 and went to 12.30, something like that. And you know, some people were kind of coming and going. And so at multiple times, uh, I think three maybe or four different times, Linda did a, a little talk and sort of walked through the paintings, helped everyone understand what her thinking was in painting that painting. And there was a theme to all of the paintings they all came from the same color palette, and they all had some similar attributes that uh, tied them all together as a part of this show. And sh they were sort of a story arc. So as she went from the leftmost painting on the wall to the right, it kind of, you know, there was an evolution of the of the story of that. This is all new to me. I, you know, I've seen paintings hang on a wall. You know, I've been to the National Portrait Gallery in D.C. I'm not a huge art uh, person. I've actually been with Linda to the Denver Museum of Art, and we had an amazing day that day. But I, I can't honestly say that my particular ability to literally understand art or particularly to, uh, to appreciate art techniques, for whatever reason, it's not there. That's, that's not any skill that I have. But I was fascinated by her um, you know, by her explanations of, of all of those things. And then uh, when she wasn't talking, then I was playing, you know, playing these songs and so forth. There were, there was a, a couple of people there who really liked a lot of the classic rock stuff that I had, and, and they were really good singers, came over and actually sang harmony with me over in the corner. That was really cool. Uh, there was also one part where I think it was maybe after the second time Linda did it, the crowd was particularly large. And, and again, she was talking about the the specific process that she went through to create all this art and, and so forth. So I had um, Lean on Me in my repertoire, whatever. So after she got done with that talk, I led the whole crowd uh, with with Lean on Me. And it was pretty cool. Uh, I actually lost my voice right in the middle of all of that for, for lack of hydration. And that's, uh, that's certainly an error on my part. But just, the, just to have everybody singing and, and, uh, and, and that, the sentiment, this idea that when, when you're down, you can lean on somebody. Linda had talked a lot about her art teacher who had helped her and, and, you know, get together and, and do this show. So, you know, at the end, 
<laughs> one of the coolest things that happened completely unbeknownst to me is that people were coming up and actually putting money on the little amp that I had there. So like, you know, it's like, you know, you think about the guy with playing the guitar or, you know, he's got an open guitar case and somebody's throwing money in there, whatever. There were <laughs> some people actually put some money down and I was like, whoa, that, that was not, you know, that was not part of the plan. But uh, I guess one of the little things that I told Linda is that, because she actually sold art, that she is now a professional artist. And it was one of those kind of aha moments. It's like, yeah, you know what? You know what's the difference between a professional artist and a uh, amateur artist? The professional has made a sale, and so has Linda. So, so I guess technically, since I got some donations, I, I'm now a professional musician, although I think I've got a lot further to go in my music art than Linda has in <laughs> in her painting because she did some really, really uh, cool stuff. And I'm proud to have one of those that I acquired at the show that's going to be hanging uh, in my office. So super exciting stuff. The the um, Well, you know what? You know, I, I'd really like to talk more about this, but I think, no, wait, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to I'm going to call Linda. Yeah. You know what? I don't need to relay some of those other thoughts. We need to actually hear from Linda. So hang on just one minute and I'm going to get Linda on the line so she can talk with us all. Hold on. All right. You know what? Luck upon all luck. I happened to reach Linda. I caught her right in the middle of something. She's agreed to take a few minutes and chat with us here. So for those of you that are listening in on the Innovation Driven Growth podcast, I have on the line. Linda Baskin, who is an emerging artist and the proprietor, owner, artistic director of Bodaza Studios. So, Linda, uh, welcome to the Innovation Driven Growth Podcast. Oh, my word. I am honored to be a part of this. Thank you for calling. Outstanding. So I was talking about the art show and, and the whole thing. And, and, of course, I had already told in a previous episode about this whole idea of, of uh, uh, stepping out of your comfort zone. And so I was talking about the whole part of it where I was playing some music, but then instead of trying to summarize for them what was going on on the art side, I said, wait a second, this is silly. I need I need the CEO of Bedazza. So here you are, just set everything <laughs> else aside, give the listeners that, you know, 20,000 foot view, it's March 27th, you show up, your art's already on the wall, just give us your overall impression of the day, how it went, and, uh, you know, that big picture view of it. Well, okay, first of all, I really expected to wake up that morning and be just like jittery with nerves and the butterflies and all that. And I was surprisingly calm. Okay. I just felt like, okay, this is good. Like everything's ready. Um, And to be fair, all the artwork was done. It's not like you were painting in front of a bunch of people who were watching you paint. So at least it was all done and up on the wall. Right. Yeah. yeah um, the only thing was like this little talk that I was going to give. I already gave them an update of that. You you did the talk, but it just helped them because, I, I, of course, I didn't get it right. The talk was about a couple of things, how the paintings were nine or ten different pieces of art, how they were connected together, not just with a color palette, but also sort of the story arc. For those of you that are listening, we're going to put a link up. And uh, if, if I can have that whole the entire part of, of Linda explaining these, uh, I'll have that link on the uh, show notes. But Linda, just kind of give that big picture of how these were all connected together that, that was the subject of the talk. Okay, so the title of the show was called um, Radical Acceptance. Radical and Acceptance. And the idea is that there's all kinds of 
horrible things in life. There's all kinds of amazing things in life. And we acknowledge the the horrible things, you know, there's death. So there's painting about death. There's, there's anxiety, there's depression, you know, there's divorce, there's death. I mean, just all kinds of things happen that are real. They really happen. We can't deny them. Um, so we radically accept that, you know, these horrible things have happened to us, will continue to happen in the future. But we also radically accept that there's some great stuff in life and there's, there's God's creation. There's other people that love us and we have connections with. Um, there's color and, you know, just amazing sights and sounds and foods and, you know, amazing life. So there's this combination where we go through life acknowledging these hard things and processing them and mourning when it's time to mourn, but we just don't stay there. We, we also acknowledge the joy and the amazing wonderful experience you know of life on this earth nice each other. nice and and because people were coming in and out i mentioned that you actually did that talk uh three or four times i don't remember what but it, it was it was remarkably consistent and in addition to talking about the artwork you also were giving shout outs to your art teacher uh somebody who has really right. worked with you and, and and you talked about your own journey of, of doing the art. So that, that all of that was a part of that narrative. Right. 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 So, yeah, so here's, yeah, so was, go ahead. Well, I was just thinking about, you know, you said maybe a little summary of the day yeah. you know, of the experience. Yeah. Right. The um, whole experience. I wanted to just say that, okay, one, having you there and our parents and other, cool. you know, sibling and other family. And then I'm looking around the space. I'm just, seeing all these faces that are just so incredibly supportive and have prayed for me and encouraged me, right. you know, cheered me on in this weird new career I'm doing. It was stunning. Like I just pinch myself sometimes that, I, uh, that like that actually happened. It, it um, was cool. and the, the number of people, you know, like more people than I expected came in. There was like a buzz, you know, like there was this excitement yes. in the air. Yes. Uh, about it all. And I was just, I was like in this maybe alternate state of consciousness or something. <laughs> it was cool. I was super glad to be a part, but here's what, here's the burning question that I have. Now I have known you all of your life, literally your entire life. I've known you. Are you disclosing for the whole world here? At least the 16 people who listen to this podcast, how old you are now? Sure. I'm 57, 57 years old. So Almost exactly four years younger than uh, Exactly. So here's my point. In 57 years, or I should say 56 and a quarter years, I don't remember you doing artistic things. I don't remember you painting as you, I don't remember you, I don't remember you doing particularly artistic things at all. Now, that may say as much about me as an older brother who's clueless and not paying attention, <laughs> but I, I don't think this is something where you've been literally secretly somehow painting for, for 20 years or 30 <laughs> years or 40 years. You literally just decided within the last, I don't know, 18 months or something like that to take up painting. Correct. And, and so, Although Linda Baskin, covert artist, does have a ring to it. That does, uh, does sound good. So what's that journey for you? Where do you go from not doing any real art at all to saying, oh, I want to try this, to becoming now a professional artist? Yeah, even even hearing you say that just is still hard to sink in. 
Okay, so this late in life career path is as surprising to me as it is to you and everybody else that knows me. Um, like I always loved like doing arts and crafts. I loved coloring and coloring books when I was little. Um, if there was like an opportunity either in school or wherever to do anything kind of artsy, like I would jump in, I would enjoy it, but I never, I never dreamed of being an artist. Like I never took art in high school, like no plans at all. It was not even on the horizon to go to school, to study art, right. nothing, like right. nada. So um, I'm, I'm glad at least that I didn't completely miss that, that that really didn't happen. <laughs> And I just Although you did it. have, you know, quite a full life apart from me. That is <laughs> no, that's true. true. No, that's true. But uh, but but here's the amazing thing. So at 55, 56, how old were you when you just 56. decided to start painting? 56. Yeah. So it's so just 56. Been, um, a year and like a year and a half. Yeah. Okay. So I was super impressed to meet your coach, your teacher, your art instructor, you know, who has been painting for not a whole long time, six years, eight years. Or something right. like that. And she something was like 22? Yes. Tw 22 years old. So she's 22 years old. And not only is she an amazing artist, she shows us some of her work, but she's now instructing you. And so so that seems a little incongruous, right? It's like backwards. It's the 57-year-old, right, who's teaching the 22-year-old how to paint. Oh, uh, yeah. Generally right, speaking, right. that's right. That's backwards. But not only that, but she has, you know, she has some physical handicaps. And so she has to overcome a lot of other things uh, right. to actually get her artwork. And it's just super amazing what she comes up with. So when, when you first started taking lessons from her, what was your goal? What was the actual goal? It's like, you know what? I'm, you know, I'll just take some lessons. I, I know this person. What? What was the outcome that you what? would, you know, I mean, people go to these wine, you know, these things where they drink wine and they all paint something. And, you know, I've looked at some of those and they all look like, you know, somebody was drinking a lot of wine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, here, okay, this is how backwards this is. I think a lot of people will start with art as a hobby and they just want to try it out. You know, they enjoy it. And then if it goes really well, maybe they consider pursuing it more seriously or taking lessons, or even starting a business, or whatever. Like, I, that's not how this happened. So, like, after our kids grew up and moved out, I tried to get a job, like, in my lane, which would be, like, education, writing, editing, like, administrative work in some way. Like, every door I tried closed quickly or never even opened in the first place. Mm. But I did get a job on staff as a mentor at a ministry called Blazing Hope Ranch, Blazing which helps Ranch. survivors of sex trafficking. Got it. And now, okay. now that I think about it, taking that job was also way out of my comfort zone. <laughs> like I resisted the offer to, to take that job for months. Well, I, and I, I, don't, I, I don't want to, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but I, I don't understand because you are, you were involved with horses all your whole life. And I know that horses are involved with that ranch and helping rehabilitation. So why is that well, such a Exactly. Stretch? Well, that's why I started volunteering there. And that's all that was going to be. I was going to volunteer, help with the horses. Got it. Like got I it. cleared land. I signed, um, I 
wrote thank you notes, you know, mm-hmm. to donors, like all this other stuff. Like I never imagined working directly with the women, with the survivors. I at got all. it. Uh, counseling, it, it being a counselor. Well, or it's just, no, it's a mentor. You just like walk mentor. through the day yeah. with them. Got You're not actually yeah, yeah. counseling. Okay. Okay. So that was a stepping out of your comfort zone moment already. You were already doing oh that with the, with the ranch. And so now, now the yeah. heart. Well, okay. So I did that job with, with very little training, no experience, you know, just to help walk through their days with them. <laughs> Even though I did mess up a whole lot during that experience, like I learned how to I learned, I learned how to do things differently, think differently already. So, so I can kind of look at that experience as maybe a precursor to this art thing. I had to call on God like so many times to help me. So when that season ended, I knew I wanted to do something like get a different job. That was my assumption. I need to just get a different job. Right. So I hired our son to be my like life business okay. coach to help me figure out what this next thing mm-hmm. might be, like whatever it was going to be. And he's great. Uh, and he's, he's, right and he's got art. He's got art talent. Oh uh, yeah. 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 Exactly. Uh, offered a lot of help and encouragement. And I still, to this day, I cannot tell you how art ended up on this short list of career <laughs> options after that. After talking with him, you know, right. multiple, multiple over over weeks, months of you know trying to nail down like what's this new lane going to be, right? And I can't tell you why I chose art from that list. There's no clear link back to like an event or some moment or conversation or a dream. Like I have no connection back to anything. Interesting. <laughs> so Interesting. like. You know, I put trust in God when I was a little kid and have walked with God. So I, the only thing I can think is that he had a lot to do with it because it just doesn't make sense in right. any human. Kind so of now place. let's, let's fast forward. You, you start taking lessons, you start, you know, you start learning some things and then you have this other friend, not your art teacher, but you have another friend who says, Hey, Linda, uh, you know what? I'm putting on an art show for you. Uh, and you, <laughs> and you go, Oh, oh Okay or whatever your response is. So when was it that you kind of went like, uh-oh, what did I, uh, wait, excuse me, what what did I just commit to? So so talk a little bit about, about that. The oh no moments came fairly quickly after, <laughs> and, it, after that and, decision. And repetitively. And repetitively. And repetitively. Oh, <laughs> I lived in almost a constant state of excitement and terror. Sure. about the entire process so when she first said that when she first said it i'd only been painting like a few months and yeah. i had like just enough awareness <laughs> of myself and the art world i guess to know that i was not ready right. at all so fast forward like five months later apparently thought i had progressed enough to give it a go right but I really had no clue what I was doing. and I, But I didn't know how much I didn't know. I got you. Like okay. in my ignorance. Right. You know, so that, that's I, actually good. So the, the fact that you were less knowledgeable made it such that you didn't actually know all of the things you should have been concerned about. Yeah. Because if I had yeah. known, I, would, I wouldn't have done it. Right. I you don't would think. have been like, no, not only, no, no way. I, 
I'm not ready. Uh -huh. uh, there's too many other things. So yeah. I think you did get a little bit of a break. It was originally supposed to be in January, and there were still some COVID mm -hmm. issues. It got moved to March 27th. So that allowed you to right. uh, get a few more pieces of art that, that you had, you know, in your mind, you know, committed to do. So oh, just no. kind of... <laughs> Not only that, that gave me the opportunity to actually finish. Like, I think I had finished two by the end of January. You know, it's funny. I was watching, I was watching a movie not long ago. And then you, you get the, you know, you get the little, um, you get the little part where they, they talk about the movie, you know, and they, they interview the actors and so forth. Oh, and, yeah. uh, and so this one female actress was basically saying that the director asked her before she got the role, if she could ride a horse. And she was like, yeah, well, yeah, sure course yeah <laughs> grew up writing my whole life and of course she had no writing experience whatsoever so so before the <laughs> shoot starts that's like um okay you know what you know what i'm gonna do now i gotta go figure out how to ride a horse and and so that the extra time also if i'm not mistaken gave you the chance to let's call it lock in some other painting techniques as you continue to work with your coach and said "Ooh, i gotta i gotta do this thing i'm not, I'm not doing this right and, and again you were getting additional instruction all the way through all of those nine nine pieces of art well actually slight correction she came twice a week and helped me with one painting the hardest painting those faces the faces and, and, yes, and again like, for those of you that are listening you can go to the show notes and actually see a picture of the of the faces uh, it's the one piece of art that uh linda didn't sell at the show uh, or i should say it was not for sale and it's striking. And uh, I can only say that there's something else that's going to happen with that painting. I don't know what it is, but it's just amazing. You need to go take a look at it. But the, the thing about like agreeing to it already. Uh, so like these, you know, these images are coming into my head and I'm like, oh, you know, that would be that would be perfect for this theme and everything. But I I have no idea how I'm going to do that. Right. Um, and I definitely, you know, that's why having her help me with the faces like that one never yeah. would have happened. I don't think yeah. without her, but the you. other ones I was doing it on my own, but still feeling like, Oh, and I don't know how to do this. So I had all these, Oh no moments like the whole way, but there was no backing out. Right. You know, you like committed. once you agree, you well, committed. I mean, I could have, yeah, but I how embarrassing. Well, yeah, let me let me interrupt you and ask you this, and and you're not going to understand why I'm asking you this question until you listen to the podcast later. How many? Okay, so there were nine uh, nine finished paintings that you had up there, right? Nine. Uh, ten. Ten. Oh, that's right. Because you, you literally had time, extra time. It's like, oh, yeah, I'll do a tenth one. <laughs> so, so there were ten paintings. So, if you start with any piece of paper or uh, canvas or anything where you started on one of those 10 and either didn't like it or it was an iter you know, something that you said, okay, I'm gonna work this out. How many different initiated paintings did you do to get to 10? Is that, does it make sense mm -hmm. what I'm asking you? Were there like, some like if you, that... Right, if you, had the, if you painted the faces 16 times and the one that was up on the wall was the 16th version of you painting ah. the faces uh, as opposed to you basically painted it once or twice or, you know, whatever. So you painted it on a piece of paper. I'm not talking about how you draw and sketch out or, you know, think about proportions and all that. I'm talking about where your intention was to actually paint something. And then you said, no, nope, that's not it. 
cast that aside, start over, paint, you know, start over. How yeah. many, how many total starts of 10 paintings? So the minimum number is 10. How many starts do we have? Just a guess. This, I don't know if this will be surprising. Uh, I'm going to say 12. 12. Yeah. Okay. And, and again, you'll understand later why I'm asking that question. So we're not going to talk any more okay. about it right now. So, okay. um, so given the clarity that you have of the hindsight now, and you think about all the stuff that happened with the show and, and, and everything else, you know, what are, what are the things you would do differently, right? Okay. You were an amateur artist before the show. Now you're a professional artist. I will say that of the nine paintings that uh, Linda had on the wall available for sale, nine paintings got sold. So I wouldn't say if she sold one painting, she'd be a professional artist. But that was like a clean sweep, everything gone from the wall. So that's pretty impressive. And again, you, you look at this stuff and it is it is something that doesn't look like it's coming from somebody who's only been doing this for a few months. So going back now and saying, OK, if I had the hindsight to do this again, I stepped out in faith that I could do this and I, and I got out of my comfort zone. But man, if I was doing this again, here's some things I would do differently. Well, okay. So one thing, which is kind of referring back to a little bit of what, something we've just talked about and something you and I have talked about multiple times in the past is this whole idea of, I mean, procrastination and, but then the adrenaline kicking in and ending up, you know, producing something and something, sometimes something amazing. So like, I want to say that I'll never set a deadline with a venue for an art show until I have the artwork completely finished or nearly finished. Really? But okay. like, I want to say that <laughs> because it was a little terrifying. <laughs> but here's what I've been thinking. The okay. deadline was... I'm thinking was this critical element in this force of creativity okay. fueled by adrenaline, right? You know, that ended up producing these paintings. Right. Um, like if I, if I would make a formula, uh, this is just, I don't know if this works. So like deadline plus adrenaline times some factor X where factor X is some weird personality quirk that you and I share. Um, yeah. Maybe some would say defect or something <laughs> whereby your brain like kicks into gear, gets the job done well at the last minute. Right. And then, you know, that reinforces the, the defect right. into right. ever and ever deepening trenches equals this quality product, you know, that either fits the requirements of the deadline or even at times, you know, a higher quality than you could ever I right. thought you would do. That's, um, that's true. So, I still, <laughs> I still. I don't recommend. I don't recommend it as a strategy. But if you have that well, skill, I, yeah. it can come in handy. I know. So, it, so bottom line, I think I will have the theme ready in the future. Most of the paintings completed before I even talk to anybody yeah. about like a date for a show. There you go. That's good. Yeah. And last question for you, and then uh, we're gonna run. I define innovation as creativity expressed, manufactured, and consumed. And I've talked about that a lot in, in previous podcasts. So if you think about that from the standpoint of art, was is that something where you go, well, that's exactly what I do every time I dip my brush in paint and put it on the canvas or my fingers or, you know, 
However, however you're doing this, when I do that, that is literally creativity expressed, manufactured, consumed in action. What, what are your thoughts there? Okay, say it one more time. Yeah, creativity. So no innovation starts without creativity. So you're coming up with an idea expressed. You're being able to, to come up with a concept that maybe in art you would make a sketch. You would, you would be able to explain to your art instructor or somebody else, here's what I'm thinking about. And you can paint the picture with words for them. And then manufactured is actually creating the art. And then the fact that it was consumed, that somebody would want it, that somebody would buy it, that it has utility. And, and my point is, is innovation, regardless of whether you're talking about uh, a piece of art or whether you're talking about a process or some new product or service or whatever it is, everything that becomes an innovation follows that path. Because most people are only trying to be creative and they think that creative and innovation is the same thing. And it's not. There's a lot of things that are creative that never make it through the other three elements to get to true innovation. Mm. So that's that's kind of so, how I'm looking at it. Uh, I, I would think strictly by that definition, every painting that isn't a copy of someone else's painting, like your, you know, it was your idea, your your composition, your colors, like all that is your original work. Like right. Every painting would be, but would fit that definition. Yes. Even because even consuming, even if I don't have a show, even if I don't put it on a website, like I'm consuming it, you know, sure. or people right. who walk into my house are right. consuming right. it in a way. That's right. But like, just in general, when I think about innovation, you know, I've always thought of it as it has to be some new process or new way of doing things. And in that sense, you know, I'm not, I don't know that I'm, I'm doing anything innovative. I got you. Um, I got you. Well, listen, this has been a real joy. Thank you for letting me just barge right into your world here and coming in and, and sharing this with the Innovation Driven Growth Podcast audience. If people want to find you at uh, Bedazza Studios and see some of your art, where should they go? They can go to bodazastudios.com or uh, check me out on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. It's new. It's all new. There's not a, a lot of posts there, but I'm working on it. Working on it. And your, and your artwork will all be available too. So if people want to print or you know something mm -hmm. uh, like that, they're <laughs> going to be able to go out there and get that eventually through to. Uh, I would add that to my list of things I would do differently next time. <laughs> have it all, have, have it my supply chain go. already worked out for prints. Yeah, and and, and and since since I'm recording this for all posterity, I I will ask you to actually deliver to me the painting that I purchased, which I still don't have. So I'm not sure if you're like selling this to three or four or five other people. Maybe all of this is just a great big scam. But uh, I, hey, I maybe <laughs> maybe I am innovating, and I just don't want you to know about it. <laughs> oh, that painting. Well, I'll, I'll get, no, I, actually, I'm going to see you this coming weekend and get the, get the painting. So anyway, Linda, thank you very much. Just last quick question. Uh, don't even think, just answer. If you had to, if you had to choose one style of painting and that was what you were going to be labeled as, would you be a Picasso or a Cezanne? Picasso. You've already thought too much. Picasso. Okay. That's what we need. All right. Very good. Linda, thank you very much. So glad that you could thank spend a few you. minutes with us. That was fun. All right. Bye -bye. Really excited that I could get Linda on the phone. Uh, and, and I will say that that was actually probably one of the more, quote, normal 
uh, conversations that we have. Because quite frankly, when I get together with my sister or my older brother, Larry, we are pretty much goofballs. So I was glad that that we were able to get her uh, on the line for uh, for the podcast. But isn't it interesting? How is it that somebody in Linda's case at age 57, all of a sudden for the, you know, any number of reasons says, yeah, I'm going to try this. and turns out to have some real innate skill. You might even say God-inspired skill at doing it. She could, she could have tried a lot of things. What if she decided to try arc welding? What if she, you know, had said, hey, you know, I want to build furniture or, you know, there, there is a number of skills, any number of skills that she could have tried. And yet here she had this idea about art and you just go look at the show notes. The this, this stuff that she's creating as a brand new artist is pretty impressive. So, so what does that mean? Does that mean that Linda, if she had chosen to do that at age, I don't know, say 15 or 18 or 22, would she have had the same amount of artistic ability? Was all of that innate in her latent, just sitting there waiting for her to take the step to get out of her comfort zone and explore it, and it all comes to light? Or is it something else? Is it that over the years, all of her life's experiences, all the things that took her to a 57-year-old woman that added to that over time, that all of these things built up piece by piece by piece, such that even though she hadn't really been painting until she was 57, now all of a sudden she had a drive. What what if Linda had started trying to paint at 21 and just, eh, just wasn't that good at it, whatever? Would she have given it up? And just like, nah, it's not for me. I don't, I don't, I don't have any artistic ability. And, and then never. Like when it comes around to 57, she goes, I'm not going to, hey, I, I tried that when I was 21. What makes me think I'm going to be better, right? So I want to point out this concept to you of the difference between innovation in a, in a flash or inspiration of genius and experimental or iterative innovation. And I want to point to one of my all-time favorite podcast producers is Malcolm Gladwell. And all of you know Malcolm Gladwell, Blink and Outliers and, and, and all of that stuff. He has a podcast called Revisionist History, and it is absolutely one of my all-time favorites. If you don't, if you don't know it, you go check the show notes. You, he's got five seasons, I think, out there now. And just amazing. I mean, so well produced, and he's so smart, and his delivery of the podcast is just spot on. Uh, and I never fail to be entertained and learn when I'm listening to Malcolm. In season one, I think it's episode seven. Again, I'll have the link in the show notes. He did a podcast titled Hallelujah. And the podcast is really about music in the sense that he's, you know, talking about things in the context of music. And, and I'm not going to get into that. I think, I think I'm going to devote a whole separate podcast to the concepts that he raised in there about music. But interestingly, he made the juxtaposition in that episode to art in the art world and being Malcolm Gladwell and being <laughs> fairly unlimited budget. He goes and he interviews, you know, a curator of art and they're, and they're looking at these paintings from uh, Cezanne, the painter Cezanne. And one of the interesting things about Cezanne is, is that he was a grinder. He, he uh, Malcolm talks about in the story that his art dealer had to sit a hundred times for different paintings from him. And, uh, and, and some of the, the art that you see uh, is not like a finished piece of art, but it, it's like it's partially finished and you can tell that it's 
it's not done. And yet people revere it as really some of the best art of all time. Cezanne was an experimental. He would do things over and over and over again and just have, you know, little tiny uh, iterations and just work and work and work. And he it's very well documented that he tried to destroy a great deal of his art. And, uh, you know, it is one of those things where where sometimes we have to go through all of those different cycles to see somebody later in life take all of that iteration, all of that experimental, all of the things that have accumulated in them in terms of knowledge and wisdom and understanding of things. And then all of a sudden they, they produce something uh, truly brilliant. And at the same time, there's Picasso. Picasso had all of his, you know, period of time was, was in his young 20s. He just exploded on the scene without any real uh, announcement. You know, it's not like he, he was building up. It was just boom. And he was there and all of this innovative stuff, right, came out. So this flash of inspiration or genius, whatever. And so in the podcast, Malcolm Gladwell is juxtaposing Picasso sort of boom, it's just a flash inspiration genius versus Cezanne, this experiential, the iterative type of thing that, that has to grind out and it takes, you know, years and years and years of time. So I asked at the beginning of the podcast, if you were an innovator, would you consider yourself to be a Picasso or a Cezanne? And, and to really kind of, of draw close to this podcast, I want to go back to my sister, Linda. So I really struggled with this because on the one hand, I would say she's a Cezanne. She's a Cezanne. She's 57 years old. She's taking all of this experience and all of these things. That, and then she's very late in life, 57, you know, somewhat late in life. Now she starts painting and, and, and these things happen. But at the same time, she wasn't painting for 57 years. She's only been painting since she was 56. She's been painting less than two years. And yet really, really cool stuff is coming out. So that sounds a lot more like Picasso, that boom, that it, it's not a matter of how old you are. It's the idea that you go and you try something and it sort of immediately takes to you or you immediately see it or, or you somehow in your mind, you, you see a concept and you, you, you're able to do something that a, in Linda's case, an art teacher says, here, do, you know, do the brushstroke this way. And I, I believe I would take the brush and just, just you know, I, I couldn't. And yet somehow things are clicking for her very, very fast. And so one of the questions that I asked her was she had to do 10 paintings for this art show on uh, March 27th. How many different versions, like the, the faces painting that you'll see, did she try to paint that eight times, 10 times, 20 times, 100 times like Cezanne? No, no. So she's saying, hey, I I just got started on these things and I struggled and I didn't know, da, 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 da. but, but essentially, you know, over a period of time, there was really only one thing and I was just working on different parts of it. And she talked about how her art teacher helped her with the, uh, with that faces painting, which is incredibly complex because you think about it, you've painted one face perfect, you paint the second face, you know, it's like if you make a mistake on the third face, you can't really go back, you know, it's not, it's not a whiteboard, it's, a canvas with paint. So, I mean, that, I, I just, I mean, I'm a whiteboard guy. It's like, whoops, made a mistake. <laughs> it's like, nope, sorry. <laughs> you want to start over? No. She's Picasso. Linda is Picasso. Uh, at 57 years old, she's Picasso in terms of this inspiration and stuff's coming out of her. So I asked her 
you know, just out of the blue. She didn't know what I was going to cover in this part of the podcast. Are you Cezanne? You know, if you had to pick one, are you Cezanne or Picasso? She hesitated for a few seconds. Picasso. So when we when we think we have something, when we when we go, okay, I've read a book, uh, I've listened to a podcast, I, I, somebody else has described their process of doing this, and so that is the way that I'm going to find success. Maybe not. Maybe not. Take in all the information. Listen to smart people or people that you think can can provide wisdom uh, for you. Read books. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you're able to just bam and put it out there, if you're a Picasso, then relish it, embrace it. Don't try to force yourself to do a hundred iterations of something if you have that spark of genius. Go with it. Go with it. But if you try to be a Picasso, if you're in your head, you're like, oh, I am so a Picasso. And at the end of the day, that flash of genius doesn't come. Does that mean that you give up? Does that mean you go, well, okay, I guess I'm just not a Picasso. No, 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 no. Be a Cezanne. Be a Cezanne. If you're sitting in a cube somewhere, or if you're running a company, whatever, and you're saying, this is an issue that I need to change in my company. I need innovation for this. And you come up with an idea and you put it in a plane, it doesn't work. Then what? You give up? You give up? No. You have to iterate. If something is important to you, if there's something that you know needs to be innovated, innovated, innovate. Don't give up. Don't give up. Be a Cezanne. It doesn't matter whether you're a Picasso or a Cezanne. You can make great art. You can become innovative and drive innovation, driven growth. Gross margins improve. Costs go down. Revenue goes up. The customer experience is improved regardless of your industry, regardless of your business. Focus on innovation. Either way, whether you're a Picasso or a Cezanne. Thanks for listening. Thanks again for investing your valuable time listening to the Innovation Driven Growth Podcast. I covet your questions, comments, or critique. You can reach me at david at davidpeterson.com. I'm also on Facebook at DP Speaks and everywhere else on social media at DLP Speaks. I look forward to hearing from you and be sure to look for a new episode soon. <music>